Welcome to the In Vino Fab podcast. I'm Patrice. And I'm Laura. In Vino Fabulum means in wine story. There are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life in their communities paired with wine, of course. The In Vino Fab pod is a place to learn in space, share stories about our work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts, of course. On this episode of the InVinoFab Pod, we're joined by Echo Rivera. Dr. Echo Rivera is here to help you become a more engaging presenter. She has a PhD in community psychology, and after about 13 years of working in the social science research and program evaluation fields, Echo has become a freelance communication consultant. She is on a mission to end hashtag death by PowerPoint in our course lectures, conference presentations, and other educational settings. What she does is more than just graphic design. She works specifically with academics, researchers, and evaluators who want to present their information in ways that increase the likelihood the audience will pay attention to, understand, remember, and use the information. We're so delighted to have Echo join us. Welcome to the pod. All right, so now that I've read your bio and we're thinking about who you are, and you can find out a lot about yourself online, so I was glad that I could do some (laughs) pre-con before this interview. What's something I couldn't find as an expert researcher online that people don't know? Yeah, so something that you probably wouldn't find out about me if you just Googled it is um, that I'm actually really into metal. That's the music genre of my choice. Um, I have mentioned it a few times on Twitter, but I recently tweeted about how I like the new Tool CD. Just, yes. just saying, because I, I do, I, yes. I share personal stuff online. I don't, I don't really hold back too much. So I just, I just said I liked it, and I got a few people who were like, I had no idea that you liked metal. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trent Reznor is just a brilliant yeah. musician and artist, right? So he does lots of soundscapes for folks. He did one yes. for Ken, one of the Ken Burns documentaries, the Vietnam. Really, I, I just found that. out. Yeah, no, I was just <laughs> listening to something. And I was like. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. So, metal. So, metal. tell us some other like top bands that would be in your Ooh. metal genre because metal's got a yeah. wide oh, genre. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, it is definitely wide. So, I like weird metal. I guess okay. I don't really. It's not an official genre. If you typed <laughs> weird metal on Google, you probably wouldn't come up with, with anything. But um, my favorite band is a folk metal band, okay. and they are called Elvati which is not how you spell it. It's like E-L-U-V-I-T-I-E. And it's folk metal and they're my favorite band and they're from Switzerland and they have a violin player and their last CD, they had uh, like harp. They of course have guitars and drums and they do acoustic and it's just like a really cool, it's a really cool band. So they're, they're my favorite. Right on. Um, Is there a song that people should sample if you're like, all right, you want to try them out? Because I'm a big song nerd, a music nerd myself. So what should they go to? Yeah, I have to admit that I don't pay a lot of attention to song names. I usually just like pop in the album and then just cool. listen to it straight through. But their latest CD is called, and they also do a lot of like um, old language kind of stuff. So I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but it's Ategnatos. Okay. So yeah, that's probably not too helpful, but no, um, we'll put in we'll put in the latest album, and I think I we could learn. Yeah, yeah, and definitely for the youngsters who might find and stumble upon this podcast, albums were once this complete thing you listen to, <laughs> and then just click through on Spotify and jump to the next. So no, I think the art of listening to an album is actually a lost art. Like I really enjoy that myself. Yeah, yeah. And my partner, he is really, really into music. And we really will just sit there and like listen to an album together. It's, it's kind of dorky, but I mean, we just really get into it. And, you know, I just I I get like goosebumps when I listen to good songs. I, I just yeah, really, I can really like just lose myself a little bit in an album. It's like, meditative for me almost absolutely uh we have other audiophiles probably listening because that's why they listen to podcasts and i would say the long listening uh whether you're listening to it something streaming on a record player on a cd is just enjoyable to refresh like remember when memories and things like that yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) i love that songs always have some sort of sentimental place for me whether it's a person or a thing i was doing or a time in your life yeah i like that a lot oh yeah yeah. <laughs> so you have to up, up your metal game online as well. Okay, that's good. That's awesome. Um, so I was excited because friend, common friend of the pod who we will have on before your, uh, she's, her interview will come out before yours, uh, but she said, 
hey, Echo, you should get onto this podcast and share. And I'm like, who is this Echo Rivera? And so I did a little Googling and saw that you do a lot of cool visual things. Like I see you as like a visual person in the work that you do. And uh, I introduced you a little bit that way, but how do you explain to your other people what you do? And yeah, if you want to pitch and share that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And that is a little hard for me because I feel like a, a Jane of all trades almost mm-hmm. like I try to do a lot of things, but how I try to group it is, you know, I help academics and evaluators and, and researchers and scientists like this big group of people who basically educate others share data. I help them communicate more effectively and creatively. So you can see it's still not like a neat little like three word (laughs) kind of description, but that's sort of the big, uh, yeah, just like general category. And a lot of it does revolve around visual communication. So that Mm -hmm. is sort of another really good way to sort of explain broadly what, what I try to do and help other people with. And so when you say help, like you're really getting into like everything from doodling to how slides and presentations might look to explaining uh, an outcome, findings, research, like how the heck did you get into this? And we need more of this in the world of research. (laughs) Every type of research needs more explaining. So please tell me how you got into this. So true. Yeah. So um, this is, you know, I'll try to, you know, not give my whole life story here, but <laughs> podcast, you can go on forever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It actually like all started in, in undergrad, like so many years ago where um, I was really into psychology. Like I really loved my psych classes, but I was also really into graphic design. Like I loved Photoshop and I like, I would just get such a kick out of when I would you know, design something for class. And then the professor would be, we would be doing like group critiques. And then he would talk about the things where like, you know, like my shadows were off or my lighting was off, but he wouldn't even know some of the things that I like did. Like he didn't even realize, like I put a dinosaur in this scenery kind of thing. And I just like (laughs) loved that. Like I loved being able to be creative and to do fun things. So is that your major? Did you major in that? Well, I kind of had a choice. I could have majored like when, I, cause I hadn't chosen it yet. So okay. when it was time, like, okay, I got to get serious, choose my major. What's it going to be? I had a choice, psychology or graphic design. And I wanted to go into graphic design. That was actually my first choice, but I had already transferred for undergrad once like a, to a new university mm-hmm. and to have graphic design be my major. I actually would have needed to like leave the liberal arts school and gone to their art school Mm. and it would have added another year just for my BA. So I stuck with psychology. (laughs) Yeah. No one has money or time for that. So yeah, I know mainly the money. Um, yeah. So psychology is a good background for visualization. Really? It really is because it's all about how humans learn and perceive and understand Mm -hmm. and you know, how, like what influences behavior, what, what changes people's minds, um, yeah, it, it was actually, I'm, I'm like happy with my choice. Basically. I think it was good that I went to psychology because I never really had to stop playing around with graphic design. I always did that on my own time. Um, you know, I, I, I did a lot, like I did scrapbooking mm-hmm. <laughs> in undergrad. Mm-hmm. I made cards and that's very like visual and, and art sure. kind of stuff. I, I played around and made like funny videos of our family dog, like music videos with him. So I learned about making videos <laughs> and I just did weird stuff like that. That's good. Also- and you, and you continue to tinker in the landscape. Oh, yeah. So I'll yeah. describe to our listeners behind her. She has kind of her artwork oh. hanging up. She's got like what I consider a scrum. <laughs> board of work and what she's going to work on visually with sticky notes of different colors. So there's, there's definitely a visual layer and I, I think that's brilliant. So good. Yes. Yes. If you, if you hop on a video call with me, you will see some weird art in the background as well as like a professional like board, like to-do list with post-it notes. It's kind of a, a funny mix, but that's just, I feel like that's kind of like who I am and how I've always been. I just like, I mix things together. I mix the art and the fun and the, you know, that kind of world with the professional world, with the research world. It's always been something I've tried to blend together, even starting in undergrad. I love it. And so then you trucked along undergrad, finished in your degree <sighs> in psychology, and you decided 
you wanted to continue the world of research after psychology? Is that why you did you keep going on or did you do something else? I did. I, I and, and so I'm a first gen student, like, um, and while I was an undergrad and I had finally chosen psychology as my major, I went to this seminar about this thing called grad school. And I was sure. like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I'll find out. Cool. What is it? And then they were basically like, so yeah, if you're getting a BA in psychology, you can't really do anything with it. You have to go to grad school. Whether or not that's, you know, accurate, right. I'm not Debatable. here to... <laughs> nah, they're just trying to sell grad. Okay, go on though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you know, their scare tactic basically sure. freaked me out. And I didn't, again, like first gen, I had no one to really help me navigate this. I had no idea how to, like what to do with that information. And so I really thought, well, my only choice is grad school then. And that's why I went straight through from BA to uh, a program that's a master's and PhD combined, which wow. I actually don't really recommend that people do. I, <laughs> I took a break for a lot of reasons, but yeah, I just kind of, I felt like I had no choice. Like this sure. is what I, I have to do. And so I went and I did it. <laughs> So I'll take a pause and let our listeners know. So we have listeners from a few different countries on my list. So first gen, we say first generation students um, mm-hmm. in college would be um, first one in your immediate family to yes. go to a four-year school, two-year school, any of the above yep. in higher ed in the U.S. So yes, yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. But yeah. yeah. And yeah, I don't know who's listening. Sometimes we have some different countries. So yeah, I always yeah, try to explain sense. terms that may be odd, but if we say first gen, and I do think I will say we have first generation students of all walks of life that come to our institutions um, and colleges and universities in the U.S., and they come with different literacies. And even our first time in college and our adult learners, we have some weird like language and nuances in university that's yeah troubling if you're not into that in that sector working. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Very true. So you decided full on master's PhD. That is brave because I don't know if I could commit to that at like whatever age, early twenties. Uh, that sounds like a lot. Maybe I, it's also like, I just didn't know. I right. just, I had no idea really what I was getting into. And I had, I mean, I had, um, for the last two years of undergrad, I, I think I joined something like four or, or six research labs as an undergrad research assistant like I used sure. it to get like credit and that kind of thing so what were some you know, things you did in the lab um, one of the things was in social psych because I also didn't know which like what field I wanted to go into so yeah. one was social psychology and I I helped with the implicit association test experiment that they were running and if, if people aren't familiar with the IAT it's basically um, they're basically studying like implicit racism and how, you know, we just, we just receive, you know, a lot of like racist messages. It's like inundated in our news and our movies and our cultures. Sure. So they, it's, it's basically a way to sort of like test that almost like a subconscious, um, you know, like racism that, that we sort of have. Right. And so that was like one thing I did. I also helped with um, coding for a parent child interaction therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was also thinking, well, maybe I'll go into clinical psychology. Right. And then I joined a community psychology research team because most people have not heard of this, this field. Yeah. And- please tell me about this. <laughs> Community yeah. is up my alley. So yes, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, yeah. Community psychology, it is awesome. Um, and that is what I ultimately chose. It's what I got my PhD in. And basically, so we are in psychology and mm-hmm. community psychologists really do care. They want individuals and families to have, you know, well-being, like mental health, physical health, positive well-being, a safe community, a happy community. And that's sort of the goal for everything. But what we do is we try to improve the community and the culture and, you know, even on the national level, the policies and the laws so that people can actually be, you know, happy and healthy and sort of like live a good, safe life. So, you know, it's sort of about like community level interventions. Um, That's great. Well, because we definitely need that in some areas. Uh, As I think about some, we have some bad communities out there. I think of those that are trolling on the other side of uh magma mega and all other friends online right so, yeah. right so community doesn't always mean positive so community means just that group of 
what's the beat and what's the pulse. So oh, yeah, definitely. And it is, it's more about like just making change at that level. So rather yeah. than look to an individual person and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you like this? Why do you have depression? Why do you not have a lot of money? Why are you, you know, domestic violence is actually my, my main research background. So a lot of people will look at a domestic violence right. survivor and say, what's wrong with you? Why did you get yourself in this situation? And community psychologists sort of take a step back and look at, well, what are, you know, what are the institutions, what are the systems that sort of make that happen or contribute to it? Or another way to think of it is if we can change something more at the community level, you know, we can improve individuals. So it's more like thinking in, in terms of systems and institutions. Yeah and policies um so so yeah that's what i that's what i latched on to i think that's fascinating because i think you're right those are the things systematically our practices won't change yeah. holistically yeah. if we're not looking at a like kind of a macro lens is what yes. i think of yeah yes. it's very macro and macro social work is a very we are we're very closely related um it's, it's sort of so if you've heard of macro social work we're, we're mm-hmm. very very similar. Um, most there, and there are some community psychologists who do also do like a combined program where they do clinical psychology, so they can do therapy and stuff sure. like that. So it, it's also like flexible in that sense. Like if you want to do therapy, you can, um, or if you want to stay in the macro sense and do research and, or create interventions, you can. So cool. yeah. Well, that's good. I'm, I like to hear, hear a little bit more about that. That's great. Um, we have my friend Kristen was on talking about her area of social work and social justice. Nice. So you're right. I could see that aligning very well. Yeah. Um, so thanks for sharing that. So you finished. You got in uh, your PhD. <laughs> yes. You made it through the many years of study. Yes, I did. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm on the path to academia. Yay. Or what happens? Yeah, I really thought when I started my PhD program, I was like, I'm going to work in an R1 university. I'm going to be a professor. This is my life. This is amazing. I love research. This is this is it. Yeah. And then I got my master's. I'm still thinking, yes, this is it. Did my comps and around my comprehensive exams, I also taught an undergraduate course. And I did not love it. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it really was not it was not for me. And I, I loved, I loved teaching research assistants. I loved mentoring research assistants for our research projects. I loved doing that kind of teaching, but I didn't really love teaching uh, students who didn't want to be there. And it was a required course in, in their, in their major. And just a lot of students really didn't want to be there. And I don't know, I just, it was like a different way of teaching. And so I, I just, I just knew I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really like that. I wouldn't really like that component. And I strongly think, you know, if you don't really love teaching undergrads, then, you know, maybe working at a university isn't something you should do. Right, <laughs> right. Because you're typically going to get as a graduate student or incoming faculty, yeah. at least a few undergrad courses. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You're right. So yeah. that's good that you got the exposure before you finish. Yes. Then. Oh my gosh. If you, if you are a grad student and you're listening, like try your hardest to, mm-hmm. and you, you want to pursue a faculty position, like please try to actually teach an undergraduate course. Cause I cannot emphasize enough. I was convinced this was the life for me that I, cause I liked being a TA. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed being a teaching assistant I, again. And I, I loved training uh, research assistants. Sure. I loved doing that. But then when I got into teaching an undergraduate course, it was not the same. So if you, if you can give it a try, if you can try it, I, I highly recommend, I know, I know not everybody can, but if you have that chance, I highly recommend that you take it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It so, was basically my, my, um, my graduate assistantship for that semester. Well, that's good to know. So you got exposed and then you decide, well, I'm not going to do that. And, yeah. and that took you into uh, your first role after your PhD to not tenure track, but you were looking at um, the nonprofit world a little bit yes. more. Yeah, so I went into the nonprofit. Well, it was sort of, I just wanted to work at a research center. Um, At the time, I wasn't specifically looking at nonprofits versus for-profits. I was just, I just want some type of uh, more applied position. I still wanted to do research because I I did really like that. So I did get a job at a nonprofit evaluation center, like research and evaluation center. Mm -hmm. And that's what helped me move out here to Colorado, where I am now. 
And I did that for three years and it was a really great experience, very eye-opening. And, but again, I just, I just realized that this, this type of, this type of thing wasn't for me. I didn't, I didn't continue to love the entire research process. I, or, or evaluation process from start to finish. And, you know, I had never stopped tinkering around with graphic design and visual communication. Mm -hmm. So this whole time, well, you know, all the stuff that we've been talking about, I've also been trying really hard on that dissemination phase, that Mm -hmm. communication phase to make that more creative. So, you know, making presentations really engaging and effective and I, I developed this reputation in grad school for having presentations that people actually enjoyed. Sure. <laughs> they actually learned from them and enjoyed them. And so I had been kind of like doing that this whole time, like a very parallel path. So yeah, by the time I had worked at this evaluation center for three years, I had still been been doing that, working in visual communication. By then, I had also done a few comics and cartoons and, and really started doing really different kind of stuff. So I just I just decided that, you know, that was my, that's the area I loved. I'm good at it. And I, w- I was good at teaching other people. So we're actually back to teaching. Right. I never stopped liking teaching, but now it was people who wanted to learn visual communication. It's small group teaching and it's more mentoring. That's where I thrive. And then my students were thriving and, you know, I was able to translate what I was doing into things that other people could do. And so it just all kind of merged together and it just was sort of a very clear next step to, to sort of leave the evaluation world to focus on this communication phase of research projects or even just teaching and, and really focus on that. That's great. So you're getting away from the bullets on the PowerPoint. Excellent. Yes. Uh, that we need to <laughs> for most research uh, presentations. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking a little bit about, as you talked, um, I agree how we share what we're learning, what we know could go beyond an academic article or a yes. book or yes. a conference proceeding. So yes. My former boss, he was looking into, we started looking at graphic novels. Like you said, you did comic strips. So what would it mean to explain concepts that we're finding in like visual and quick statements around? So we studied uh, just how scholars use online resources and what network scholars should do and some advice. And so... I'd love to hear what you you were drawing in your comic strips and your comics. Yeah. Yeah. So again, because I just, I always have like side hobbies and I, I just have so many interests. I just can't keep it together. <laughs> and um, in grad school, I had picked up cycling, like bicycling. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I got really into that. And so I started a blog about bicycling and my partner was getting into it too, but he was really getting into it on a more, like I was doing it for fun and exercise sure, and sure. he was like getting into it, like <laughs> cyclocross kind of stuff, which is like, if you don't know what that is, it's just like an obstacle course on a bike kind of stuff. Okay. okay. Really, really cool. Extreme yeah. biking. Yes. It, it was pretty extreme. Okay. Like I don't even, I like the lung capacity to do it just <laughs> blows Yeah. Away. So you, cause you're in Colorado and the altitude is much higher and it's intense. Oh, yeah. At this time it was, in, it was in Michigan and okay. even then okay. I was like, Oh, the no. long, but yeah, in Colorado, no way, <laughs> no way. But but yeah, so I had a blog, and so I just made comment comics about what it was like to bike, but also what it was like to sort of have that dynamic where I was just a very casual biker, and he was more like into it, like the extreme stuff. And I, and and one comic, and I made this comic in Keynote, by the way, which is for people who don't know, it's basically the Apple version of PowerPoint. Okay. So I didn't have like, this wasn't Adobe Illustrator, but I used Keynote and I just drew this comic where like, I'm like on a bike and I'm sweating and like crying tears of blood and like my like armpits are just like doused in sweat. And, and I, you know, and it was about like cycling up a hill. And then there's like my partner next to me and he's like making a latte and like knitting a sweater. And he's like, how are you doing over there? <laughs> kind of thing. Um, Cause that's what it felt like. Like I'm dying in Michigan, which is low <laughs> altitude up, up like a little hill. And he's just like blowing past me. Um, so it was like funny comics like that. And it just kind of, you know, it, it got really popular in the, in the cycling world and, and then eventually I started reading more about research on cycling. And then I got connected with the 
um, uh, transportation equity crowd because uh, there's just like a lot of great stuff that they're doing there. And so then my comics, some of them transformed into some of that, like trying to talk more about how we need more. We need to think more about equity when we're talking about bicycling and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, again, I'm just, you know, playing around with, with keynote for most of them and, and making really simple comics, but, but people, but people really liked them. And, and then I was invited to actually speak about it at an equity bike conference. That's um, fantastic. I See what happens when you're like on the side it. doodling? This is great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I was never expecting it. It was just something <laughs> I did for fun. But that, I think that was probably a very key moment where I was asked to speak about it. People, people were surprised. They learned something new. They, mm -hmm. they really enjoyed it. And I thought, yeah, maybe this is what I should be doing. Maybe, maybe I should be doing visual communication and focusing on, on this kind of stuff. And there is a place for comics in research, which I'm not saying anything new here. A lot of people have been saying that. There's like yep. a journal of comics scholarship right. out there. I mean, right. so I kind of joined, like I agreed with that. I, I joined that kind of idea. Um, so, yeah. No, that's great. Um, yeah, Helen Cara shared yes. that on an episode. So you were, we were talking about that before. Yes. She's brilliant. Uh, I do think we could infuse more of what we do in different ways. And it's kind of like you uh, you do what others do is reflecting and mediating on the process of whether it's learning to cycle, mm -hmm. team cycle. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of neat that you've shared that. And I was wondering like a little bit around, the, so you make a good point though, is just getting started and I think a lot of people think about visual and then they're like, they might look at your work and go, I can't do that. Yes. Like I'm, I'm not creative is what I hear. I'm not oh. an artist. What, like, what do you do to combat that? Like, ah imposter syndrome people think they have when they're like, you are creative. You just haven't done it yet. Yes, exactly. So, okay. I have imposter syndrome to this day. <laughs> like, so I, t I completely understand that. I, I get that feeling. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to say to everybody that like, you can do this. You like, I believe in you, like everybody can do this. If you want to, you absolutely can. Sure. And you are creative. Every single one of us is creative. Laura, you are creative. Listener, you. you are creative. Okay. So I validated no. Good. <laughs> That's what I, I try valid I try to validate a That's lot. Good. No, I okay. So I mean, and they're like, okay, you said it, but how do I but, do it? Right. And and like what's the proof, you know? Yeah. But like you use creativity every single day. Like you use creativity. And I have like actually I actually have a blog post about this. So I could even good. I can even link it to uh for the show notes. Perfect. Um, because you use creativity when you design a research project. You use creativity when you decide on what to include in your lectures and what not to include in your lectures and, and how to talk about it. You, as a researcher, as a scientist, as an educator, you are actually using creativity in your everyday job. It's just we have been trained to not think of it in that way. And I'm, I'm, I'm out there trying to remind us that actually we are, we are creative because creativity is really just, it's solving problems. I mean, that's really what creativity is, is, is finding ways to solve problems or answer questions in ways that, you know, maybe haven't been done before by others or by yourself. So we are all creative. I think that's great. And I wonder how you get people to start applying their creative self to uh, projects. Because I know you work with them about presentations. It's probably a big area. But what are some ways that you kind of get them to like explore some of the possibilities of their own creative abilities to get the things flowing and the juices working of creativity? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. I think what I do, so, and I even have like a free course on this. So again, Ooh, bonus, <laughs> look at these resources we're getting listeners. I'm excited. Go on. Lots of show notes links coming up. Um, so I have, a, I have a free course on how to create your visual database. That's what it's called. And the low hanging fruit is actually with finding visuals, like finding different kind of visuals, which sounds like, oh, that's probably like anticlimactic. Like that's all <laughs> like, uh, you know, so hopefully people aren't too disappointed, but really because a lot of the ways that we look for visuals are, are really not the best way to look for them. Like going to Google images and, and typing for a visual 
for many reasons, which, which I explained in the course, not a good idea. And so I, what I try to do to get you started and to sort of get you used to being more creative is I teach you a new way to look for visuals. And I'll give you sort of like a little spoiler. Um, basically, you're going to start looking for visuals first, and then you're going to think of how to use them. And that's very simple, very, it's a small sort of flip in the way that you think about visuals, but it actually unlocks creative thinking when it comes to visual communication. It is such a good step one. It's something everybody can do. It's, it's free. It does not cost you anything. I also talk about like where you can get free, excellent photos. Like it's not like you have to start spending $500 for this. So that I think is a really good first start. And once you can start doing that, then a good next step is you start creating your own visuals with shapes. Again, just regular shapes in PowerPoint or Keynote, or maybe, you know, something like Affinity Designer. Um, you know, it could be professional, but, you know, that's like down the road. I like these early steps. So like you're not saying like, all right, let's pick up the charcoal now. And, right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> like, let's start doing this. So Because people do get intimidated and you yeah. have- you um, kind of open it, and I like I love this idea totally because I'm a big, I'm a big visual person. And yeah, yeah. if you put stuff out in front of people, they'll just do stuff. And if you don't give them any direction, then maybe they'll just make it up themselves. So right, right. I love the idea of, of whether it's play doh or crayons or something in work, live <laughs> workshops. I do because they're like, nice. I haven't seen this for a while. <laughs> what nice. might I make? But you yeah. have, we have these tools in front of us, like you said, is mm-hmm. simple PowerPoints, yeah, shapes. Yeah, exactly. And seriously, like stick figures are perfect. Like if you do, like if you are already like you're good with visual, like finding stock photos and stuff and you wanted a step one that is more about you actually out there drawing and illustrating, then for you, I would say stick figures, you Mm -hmm. know, they're perfect for slides because you don't want like a masterpiece on your slide. That's a lot going on. That would be too much and completely unnecessary (laughs) for, for a presentation. But like, like, people love stick figures. There's there's comics out there that you know of, like X, C, D. Yeah. I'm a P- yeah okay, yeah. is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, that's all stick figures, and, and, and we love them, and they make their point. That's the key. So, you know, if you want to start drawing, stick figures is a perfect place. Yeah, and sometimes, like, you don't even have to share them with anyone. You can just have them for yourself, yeah. I find. Yeah. Um, no, what are some of the, like, initial, like, questions or challenges you get from anyone that you work with or comes to you and says, like, they probably come to you for a few different reasons. Like, I saw you have that slide in five. The uh, Yeah. Yes, so there was, like, there, five. Yeah. So, like, what do people come to you and often, like, their common questions or challenges they're finding? I think the big, there's two big challenges when it comes to presentations. The first one is that um, a lot of people want a template. Like they, Mm. they, you know, they see my presentations, they see my training, they're convinced that they want to do a better job. They want to communicate in more effective ways. They want their audience to be more engaged you know, they want to get those compliments afterwards. They want to hear this was the best presentation I've ever seen. Which, which, you know, happens, that, that happens with my students. And, and they want those outcomes, but then they want a template. Mm. I, I, have, I hate being the person who has to share bad news. And I just, I feel like all I do is disappoint people. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> all I do is break hearts and burst bubbles because I, you know, templates are not, are not going to be the solution for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, built-in templates that are in PowerPoint or Keynote or whatever, or even ones that you buy online, those are not good, like ever, ever. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry if you paid 25 bucks for a template. Thank you for like, saying that. Oh, oh, I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. Those are made by graphic designers. They're not made right. by instructional designers. Right. They're not made by people who understand how humans learn. They're made with pretty stuff on the slides. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, really, I, wish, I wish I could just, you know, create a template for you. And, you know, so, so really what you need to do is you need, first, you need to learn what effective 
presenting actually is. Like you just need to understand because it's a new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Like the problem isn't your, you know, the designs on your slide. Like the problem is how, you know, from step one, what you choose to include in your presentation. Usually it's too much. Right. You know, step two is is how you order that information. Usually it's just a bunch of lists and facts and doesn't have a good organized narrative, right? Like those things need to change. Plus, you know, graphic design, information design, psychology, all that needs to be applied to your presentations. So you can, and I do train people how to edit the master slides in PowerPoint to create their own template that gets you started. It it Mm -hmm. takes care of step one for you, but there's more steps and you will always need to do that yourself, you know? So that's the biggest challenge is Mm -hmm. people really just want, and I get it. We're all short on time. Every single one of us, we have too many things to do. It is hard to do everything we want, impossible to do everything we want. And so I know people want that. And so, yeah, I, but sadly it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. I think it's important. You said a couple things. One, it's actually organization and the differentiation between instructional versus graphic design. Even though it's graphical in nature and visual, you're actually thinking about the process and more of the flow, it sounds like. And I think that's, if we could wrap our heads around it, um, people would be surprised to say, you don't even need the PowerPoint, but how are you organizing your thoughts instead? (laughs) But I won't say that because it'll, yeah, people are like, wait, I don't need it at all. You need, Maybe something, but it's more yeah. about how you organize, like you said, the information, how yeah. people are going to take in knowledge and learn. I love that. So what's the other challenge that people say? And so, yeah, the other challenge is that so many, okay, and I, I, I really want to emphasize I'm not a... Like, I'm not, I don't shame anybody, you know, so like, that's, that's definitely not my philosophy. So, um, you know, but I do have to talk about... Wait, wait, how, you should if they're using like any um, paper clip, what is it called? The... Graphic clip um, for images, clip art. Thank you, clip art. Oh, <laughs> I shame yeah. people for that. So just oh. saying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, people don't know what else to do. Oh, I mean, okay, okay, fine. I, I won't shame them anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell them what to do instead, and, okay. and I will say, like, that's kind of what I was like trying to get to. Like, I, I will, I need to talk about the things that aren't so great, but I'm, but I get why you're there. I get why everybody is there. We, there's no training about this in grad school. And so often people do like a one hour tips and tricks kind of thing and think that's it. And that's not true. My online course is almost 20 hours <laughs> on, on this and it's still not everything. So, you know, so like, I know why you're there and I am not making fun of you and I am not shaming you. Okay. <laughs> I just have to say that. Um, But the sad news is that a lot of people think their presentations are great. And then I see them and I am like, no, no, I'm so sorry, but they are, they are not. And, um, this, this just happens all the time that people, they, they might stumble on my training and, you know, like my training might be combined with somebody else's and they're there for that other person's and they think, oh, my slides are actually great. And then they see my training and then they're like, oh no, oh no, everything I do is wrong. (laughs) And it's this like, again, I just feel like this like soul crusher, like, like all I do is share bad news. No, no, you you care front. It's <laughs> not you don't confront. They need an intervention. I like that. I and like that. You, you may use that. Yeah, care fronting is very important. Care front. I've been doing it since under uh, since my grad school days. I'm so yes, use that. yes, thank you. And I mean, I do like my training is very much about like what to do instead. So mm-hmm. it's sort of people have that kind of funny like oh no moment, but then it always is. But I know what to do instead, and then people are actually excited. People, my favorite comment that I get is. They ask me when I'm done, what did you even use to make this? Like, I don't even, like, what did you, I don't, I don't, I don't what, what, what? And I'm like, PowerPoint? <laughs> They're like, impossible. <laughs> like, that is just like, you cannot make such an engaging PowerPoint presentation. And I'm like, you just saw one. And it's really like, you can absolutely do this. So people also have that, like, mm-hmm. it just unlocks everything. And then they actually get excited to make a presentation. And if that, like, that's just the most rewarding thing when I hear that, like people excited to make a PowerPoint. I mean, come on, that's great. <laughs> right. Cause most people are like, no, but if they're proud of the work and like, cause really what we visually do shares who we are and what we care about in our work. So anyone you work with wants to know, 
I'm really proud of what yeah. I'm studying, what I'm teaching, yes. what I'm educating on. And so yeah. I think that's really great. So it's kind of like your confidence building by PowerPoint. I try. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I can't wait to dive into this full course. I kind of gleaned through and I was like, oh, so where did you get all this knowledge and resource? And it's like, what do you kind of rely on for yourself to kind of, uh, figure out what's happening? Um, what you might stay current with, and this could be like from books to websites or things. What do you recommend for your, some of your folks that you work with? Yeah. So this is, this is a hard one because a lot of the, like, it took me like 15 years probably to get, like I started in undergrad and I don't feel like I really unlocked it until my dissertation defense. That was sort of my big, that's like the starting point of of all of this. So that's like, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And it took so long because a lot of the great resources out there are for business and marketing. And some of it's useful, but you know, you're not trying to do a pitch deck for your startup, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like that's, that's not like what this is about. You're not like product to sell my friends. Exactly. Exactly. So I had to do so much like translating and most of it was just experiment. Like I just, I played around, I tested it and I, you know, I, I, I saw the audience's reactions and where I lost them, like where they looked at their laptops, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing, where they looked at their phone. That's when I knew I lost them. And so that's, that was the part that didn't work. And so I fixed that and I just got practice with storytelling. Um, I just kind of did it the hard way. Like I just did it such the hard way. And then by the time my dissertation defense rolled around, that was when um, Anne Emery I found her website, Anne Emery at Depict Data Studio. Again, happy to share that link. She is amazing. She does so much with data visualization. And she she focuses a lot on like the um, sort of like the nonprofit world. So um, a lot of just like a lot of that, like maybe like government agencies and and small nonprofits and big nonprofits and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so I don't really know a lot of people who are who specialize with scientists and academics um, who do lectures. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of it is with like um, like conference presentations or like team or like organization meetings and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I mean, Anne definitely does help academics and scientists. I definitely don't want to say she she doesn't because yeah, she's amazing. Definitely check her out. She's got a great website, lots of great blogs um, about data viz. And, um, but yeah, there's really, there's really not, not too much. So I, I kind of had to, yeah, do no, I, I was wondering, cause like yeah. I'm looking back at my bookshelf and I have a few that are on storytelling. Like I think of Nancy uh-huh. Durant. Duarte. God. Duarte. Yeah. She Nancy has a book called Duarte. Resonate. That was yeah. really, mm-hmm. but she's um, business. I mean, that's corporate and, um, Cole Nussbaumer, Netflix. She is, she's also great. She is, she's storytelling with data. Mm -hmm. Um, She, you know, she's like from tech, she's from Google and and that. So, you know, I kind of had to make the the blog and the online course that I wish I had as a grad student, as, you know, as, as someone I imagine who is a professor would, would want, Um, you know, so, so yeah. No, you're right. There aren't too many. The only ones I think of, the other one was um, Stephanie uh, Evergreen. She oh, Evergreen. Like, yeah, Stephanie Evergreen. Absolutely. Yeah, she does one around data viz as well. But yes. like the stuff that you do that I think differentiates from you, and there was another author that did better presentations for academics. I can't remember his name. Swabish, Swabish. I'll put it in the notes. Oh, but yeah, John Swabish. Yeah, he's, he's great too. Swabish, so. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's got his great stuff. Like, and yeah. they kind of break down some steps. And yeah, uh, Duarte's yeah. work, I like, that kind of does some visuals <laughs> for folks. But really, um, you have some unique stuff that you draw and you take images of. Like, that's what I'm fascinated about that process (laughs) a little bit. So you've got a really great camera and your website that takes pictures. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I do try to, it's either me or my partner who draws the Mm -hmm. visuals for our website. And I do include that in my training. And I think, yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of people focus on the data visualization part. Mm -hmm. Um, Some, some of them only focus on the data, 
visualization and some focus on that heavily. And my approach is a little bit more holistic and comprehensive. So my framework, I have like a visual for it, of course. And I, I explain it in Stellar Slides in five. That's the other free course I have. But it's sort of like there's layers like storyboarding and content. That's layer right. one. And then there's decluttered and then there's information design and graphic design. Then there's data visualization and then there's animations. And really you need to do some level of all of those in one presentation. And you can't, my argument is that you can't just focus on your data visualization, that if right. you have a beautiful graph, but the rest of your presentation is bullet points, text heavy, just a list of facts, not really that engaging, they're gone by the time you get to your gorgeous graph. And that's disappointing because you did spend all of this time making this wonderful data viz, but the rest of it didn't didn't complement that. It didn't support that. And so that sort of, you know, and again, I'm not saying that other people don't talk about it at all. You know, it's just, I, I focus a lot on those other, other components as well that I think is missing in a lot of what I've seen. Plus it's like, I personally, when it comes to slide presentations, I learn better through videos than through a book because mm -hmm. in a book, you can't see the dynamic aspect. You don't see those animations. Right. And um, so I, I also think like videos is, is really helpful because you actually see it happening. No, that's interesting. And I, I think it's like walking them through a process, like yes, yes. whether it's mapping out or storyboarding, like it sounds like you're th getting them to think yes. about it holistically and not just like, oh, give me the shiny, pretty thing to put right. in it. But how does it all connect? Yes. Um, yeah. Someone's going to listen and learn. Yeah. Cool. So what are some other things folks come to you about besides the ultimate story and slide deck and work? Um, <laughs> what are some other things they can find from you if, you if you want to kind of share what you work on with them? Yeah. Well, we also do research or science comics. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I'd really like to do more of. Again, back to my blog about cycling and comics. It's something I've, I've always wanted to do. I'd really like to do more. Um, we do comics for our own blog, of course, but um, we were able to do one recently for a client, which was about... Um, uh, the the research team was doing like hearing loss research and so we right. they use zebrafish and we got to draw a zebrafish wearing earmuffs and it was just like so cute I love looking at it <laughs> and um, so yeah like research comics would be something else that we can help with um, we also do a little bit of report design and you know things like visual abstracts or infographics of course would be something we can help with so really Really, if it's visual communication, we can help. We can do like training for how to do videos, but we don't do video editing for people. Right. Um, so, and that's like the thing too, like we do tend to have like a combination, like I can train you to do it. We can do it in sort of a more mentoring kind of way where we work together or I could just do it for you or we could just do it for you. So we try to sort of meet everybody where they're at for sure. any, any kind of budget. Well, that's kind of cool. I think that's neat. And I think um, with, I think about grants that have um, bigger impact, broader impact factors what they yes. look at and they want to say, yes. well, how will you disseminate it and how will it get across to other stakeholders? So maybe you yeah. have some findings that are important for government policy or yes. for a certain practice somewhere in um, science or in the classroom or somewhere else in society. So I think it's yeah. a better way to kind of distribute the the paper the report that people aren't going to read but getting the message out in like yeah. plain english so i think that's i am a big fan so good Yay, great thank you. <laughs> all right so do you draw for fun in your free time then now like you don't have the, the cycling do you do any fun things on the side i i don't draw for fun um but i do i've recently gotten into snarky cross stitch oh go on so um i um, I've only made one and am I allowed to swear on the you are Okay. So I basically stitched something that says, I don't fucking care if you like it, <laughs> which, so there it is. And I think it's good. 
I stitched those words and I, I, there was supposed to be flowers, but I messed it up horribly and I could not fix it. And flowers was beyond my skill level. So I just made a border and I just finished that like last week. So I've made, I've officially made my first snarky cross stitch and I kind of want to like, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm not promising this, but I think it would be kind of fun to like make my own patterns related to presentation design. Like don't use bullet points. Don't use smart art or I don't know, something, something like that. Bullet points are the best is what you should do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Uh, that, would like, be, that would be snarky. You're like, oh yeah, sarcasm. like an eye roll or something. Like yeah, a- like the asterisks on the side. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, mm, the best quotes. The best. best. Yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah. All right. I, this this pod will come out in a little bit, so we'll see what you got then. Uh, that's good. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll have more. I need to go get like supplies. I got it. My I got it from the like my public library hosts mm-hmm. a lot of these kind of events, so they they had supplies to make your first one to, to see if you liked it. So. I I guess I have to, you know, so I'm not really sure I have to like figure out how to do that. Going. Well, I think that's great. Public libraries are great. Nice plug for the library. Go to the bibliotech. Love, love the library. Thanks Check out your public library. See what's going on. It's not just a bunch of books. Yeah. And if you want to go, they have events. They've got learning yeah. sessions for folks. You can volunteer and do stuff in the community. Great the community team. resource. The teens in, 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 in our public library system, they learn how to make robots, and then the robots battle each other. Like, <laughs> how cool is that? I wish I could join. <laughs> like, I know. They, they do have fun for, like, young adult programs. I have, I'm a friend of the library. We've done, like, fashion yay. electronics with them. And you're right. You do have to be in that age group to do it. So, yeah. Sad. <laughs> it is sad. We do need more adult program at the library that's for fun and not just learning and yeah. Toastmasters that I've seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Um, Cross stitch. I used to do it as a kid and I oh. have a couple friends that do it like, like you, the snarky stitch. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not complicated, but it, it takes some patience and it it's does. a good, good practice away from screens and things. Yes. So that's nice. Yeah, I find it calming, except when I mess up and I get knots and then I get and then I get mad, but then <laughs> then I fix it and then it's okay and then it's back to calming. So <laughs> it's a del- it's a delicate process. It's, it is. It's good. It's it's a good thing to have with wine, I might say, uh, oh. if that relaxes you. What, what what might you have with a beverage uh, as a wine or something else? Will you stitch? Uh, well, I stitch. I tend to just do tea. Um, well, nice. Like, again, I'm trying to make it like a calming <laughs> kind of thing. So, so I'll do like tea, um, sleepy time tea, because I usually do it in the evening. And um, so that's kind of my, my, my drink of choice for that. Nice. I like that. All right. So you have a lot of things going on, I'm sure. But knowing your creative self, you probably have something on the horizon. So are there any kind of projects percolating for you? Yeah, so I so I've been blogging for almost three years, and there's one topic I haven't touched on, and I'm finally getting the courage to do it. And it's about how effective presenting is good for your career, which you're like you're probably like, why have you not talked about it yet? <laughs> that seems obvious. Tell me more. Uh, it is, right? I, yeah. I just, cause I, you know, because I do have, you know, I have an online course and I do training. And so, you know, what I do is, is a business and I've just always been very, I just never want, like, it's hard to find a job and just the whole, like finding a job and getting a career. It's already, people already have anxiety. They already have a lot of fears. And I just wanted to not even come close to like, like, taking advantage of that. Like I I didn't even want, like I didn't want people to feel like I'm trying to make them scared into working with me. And I've just always, so I've just been like so wanting to avoid it that I, I I just, I have, like it's been total avoidance. I haven't solved my own problem. I haven't been creative about it. So, um, but I'm finally like after doing this for a few years, I finally like I, I know what I want to say and how I want to say it in, in ways that I think, you know, are in line with my, my like ethics and, and, that, and values and that kind of thing. Because the reality is, is it, it does help. I mean, if you don't have a good job talk, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to, to get an offer. So, you know, I can't, I can't just ignore it forever. And I want people to have good job talks and 
help people with their job talks. So, um, so yeah, I've just been, I've been spending almost three years trying to find a good way to say this. That doesn't feel gross, basically. Beyond a job talk, you could be found online for things you've presented before yes. or at a conference or it, maybe a video of your class shows up somewhere. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that is exactly why I need to just like <laughs> help people and, and talk about it because it does matter and people can see it. And, you know, um, yeah, I just, I just need to be able to help with that. So that's sort of my next project. I'm hoping to have that come out in, in the fall, um, this fall. So hopefully, cool. hopefully that, that happens. <laughs> well, we'll include links to all your work and social yeah. stuff. So people can follow along and yeah. see that when it comes out, because I think it does sound like an added resource. And I know that, um, folks in academia, job postings come out now for next year. This is bananas for any of my friends that work outside of higher ed. They're like, what? You have a job posting that comes out like now that's for starting next right. August? I was right. like, yeah, welcome to the weird cycle of hiring <laughs> and talent. Uh, academia for faculty, it's weird. It is, it is sometimes very hard to explain academia to people who never were part of this world, like right. in, in grad school or beyond. It, we, we do some strange things. <laughs> Banana things. Yeah. yeah. We want to get into that. But yeah, no, I think that'll be a great resource. So um, I look forward to seeing what comes out and Thank how you. you're kind of reflecting and sharing on that as well. So yay. yeah. Um, this is also a podcast about uh, wine. And I don't know if there's a wine or a beverage of choice that you like to have with family, friends, uh, people you gather with. Yeah. So when I'm like socializing, when I'm with family or friends, my drink of choice is actually non-alcoholic. It's yeah, yeah. cream soda. I mm. just love a good cream soda. <laughs> like, Tell me more. Do you have a favorite? Is there uh, a brand or a type or any? It's open? I, I'm not loyal to, to any brands, I'll be honest. <laughs> I just, I go to Home Goods and mm -hmm. I look for, because they'll sell like pop. Um, and that just gave away, I'm from the Midwest. I said pop. Um, I grew up with pop as well. So that's nice. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and, you know, so they'll sell like root beer, cream soda, or like orange soda. You know, they'll have like special pops basically. Mm -hmm. And so I'll just, if there's one there, I am all over it. And, I will buy that as my, my special treat. I just, I love, 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 love cream soda. I think that's great. There are more, um, as we go venture to see breweries and stuff, there's Ooh. more like um, sodas and carbonated beverages being made besides uh -huh. beer. So I think, I don't know if there, you've tried any locals because you are in a, a beer area, a, a brewing area, let's just say. You live yeah. in a heavily brew area. There might be some that have sodas on tap too. So. Yeah. Um, I live in Dr. Pepper land, so people are more inclined uh, to get like a root beer or Dr. Pepper down here. Right, so, right. but cream soda, that brings back like childhood memories for me. I know, it really does. Like, it's just, there's just something so satisfying about it. And it, it has to be in a bottle. You know, I've never really enjoyed when it's been in like a can. Okay. Yes, which I don't even know if they do still do that. That's, that's more from when I was a kid. But yeah, if it's in a bottle, then I, I will... I will try it. Now yeah. you're making me want to go out and find cream soda. I Thanks. know. Now I want one too. <laughs> That's so tasty. I was, I was at a brewery, uh, another plug for the public library. They were hosting a board game night for adults and I was there and I asked for a cream soda and they did not have one. And I was so sad, but they had root beer. So it's a good second choice. But They, I they tend to do root beer soda. a lot, which is, is what yeah. I find. Yeah, it is kind of funny. So. Ah, well, get on your A-game breweries. That's a challenge for you. Yes, please. <laughs> Cream soda it up. All right. Uh, has there been a story that's kind of stood out for you lately? So I always ask um, our guests to share, whether it's a book, an article, Ooh. TV, movie, I don't know, anything you're reading, doing yeah. maybe, that sticks out? Yeah. So um, do you want to hear something really dorky? Yes, always. <laughs> um, okay. So when I said I do cross stitch in the evening and I have my tea, I left mm -hmm. out a part of that story. Okay. Um, my partner is also there with me and we often get a book and he, he will read it like for us, <laughs> like an audiobook, but like he reads it so we can pause easily and comment and, and talk about it. So um, super dorky that I'm confessing that. <laughs> so he'll read and narrate the book. To oh, you. yeah. Yes. That's great. I love a good read aloud. So 
if you don't read aloud books or things to your significant other, your children, your dog or cat, Lizzie, there you, go. you should. Um, sure. They'll appreciate it. No, I think that's great. I I am the narrator on my house. I love and, it. <laughs> and usually it's it's usually when we're on like road trips or other places oh, okay. to. Yeah. Um, I should do it more at home because we do like listening to stories together. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, if you like that sort of thing, yeah. I will put put a plug for a podcast I listen to that's like highly inappropriately funny. Uh, my dad wrote a porno. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> I am plugging that now for the reason of uh, the main – there's three of them that are on that. Uh, the main guy, it's his father's book he found on Amazon. It was self-published erotica meets management – and it's not really porn. It's more like anatomically incorrect, uh, grammatically incorrect. And they read a chapter each episode. Yes. And they like comment and go, hold up. Is that even physically possible? Yeah, Wait, yeah. Is this, that does not even make sense or it just trails off character developments splotchy at best. So um, I recommend that. My friends from the uh, UK and Australia brought it up. Uh, and I was like, this is really funny because they're, they're English. Uh, his dad's originally from Ireland. And so uh, and his dad's pen name is Rocky Flintstone. <laughs> and so he goes out to his like man shed and drinks his Chardonnay and does some writing. And they're on book five. And so this is one that we listen to. I, I'm a big fan of that's speakers, great. That speakers that don't hear you, but play podcasts. So oh, that's, uh, that's, that's my joy, my gift to you and your partner. Thank to enjoy. you. Yeah. Thank you. And, and people listening can't see that I am now basically bright red because I was just laughing so hard. I was trying not to do it right into the mic to hurt anyone's ears. But um, like, you will <laughs> laugh and cry. Like this is a podcast you should not listen to while driving or operating a heavy machinery. Wow. So please. I, have, I have to check it out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. definitely. But cool. where was I? Oh, yeah. Why was I saying that? Because our last like book reading. Yes. What are you reading? Was uh, we just finished a couple days ago. It's Ruined by Design by Mike Montero. Okay. And he has a YouTube video or a TED talk or something that's like really popular. It's called Fuck You, Pay Me. Um, so you might. <laughs> I think I've heard of this, but I haven't I, seen yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually haven't watched it yet either, but I need to. So if you if you if the name sounded familiar, that is probably why. So he is in the tech and design world, which you know I, I keep an eye on because it does help with like visual communication and, and presentations and staying up to date on technology and that kind of thing. So I read this book. It's super short. Very, you know, we read it quickly, and it's it's basically all about how people in the tech industry who are designers they actually have a responsibility and they have a responsibility to the people who are affected by their technology. So this is to you, you know, Facebook workers, this is people working at Twitter, you know, other companies. And he argues, you know, if your company is out there making AI that is used to target and track and, um, you know, you know, get immigrants, you know, detain immigrants and that kind of thing, like you're part of that. That's something you are helping build. And it really, so it was like a lot of like ethics, I guess, ethics and values and really trying to encourage the people working there to, to ask questions and to ask why and to not just do what you're told and the whole, well, it's my job thing doesn't really quite work or excuse what you're creating. Um, and it was just like, it was just fascinating, very eye-opening, uh, very challenging. It's a very challenging book. And I think one reason I really liked it is because if you just replace the word designer with researcher, <laughs> with, you know, like evaluator, I mean, this all applies. And, you know, so I really just liked it because it, it, it was insightful for a world I've never worked at, the tech industry, but also actually applies and helps you think about, you know, making sure that what you do like you actually want that to be part of your legacy and, and something you wouldn't be like ashamed of later on and that kind of thing. So um, it definitely resonated. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that because I think you're right. It's, we have to think about um, some of what we do is embedded our values of self, right? And so yeah, if yeah. what the work we're doing is not leaving the world a better place, then yeah. what, are we, what are we doing? And yeah. Uh, it sounds a lot like like if you've heard Tristan Harris talk a bit more about his Center for Humane Research because he was the oh. one who started the Infinite Scroll and like the things that make people more addicted to oh, some of these technologies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thinking about ethically, are we doing the right thing and what could we change? And mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to check that ruined by design. Okay. It's on yeah. my, my to read list at least. Thank you for sharing yes. that. Yeah. And it's, it's really short and really fast. And, and he, you know, so I, I would recommend it even if you're not in tech, if you are in like the research or evaluation kind of world, um, I think, I think it would still be valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would still be valuable to read because you really could just <laughs> copy and paste those, you know, or, you know, replace those words with researcher. No, I think it's great. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share um, that's bringing you maybe joy these days and make you smile? So something. Yeah. I think the biggest thing bringing me joy and I guess I'm kind of cheating because I've already talked about it is, is my public library. Like I, I didn't use the public library at all growing up and I only started this year really. And I just feel like I've been missing out and it just brings me so every time I go there, there's like kids there who are like happy and, and playing like, and they're playing like Fortnite. And I think that's mm-hmm. the right game. Like they're playing like Fortnite and teams over there. And I can like hear them like, wait for Morgan to join. Like Morgan, are you there? Okay. We could start. And just like, <laughs> I just feel like part of a community when I'm there, like a a positive community. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like I didn't even know all that they're doing and like people think that it's just outdated or it's only books, but like they have streaming and DVDs. And I actually watched um, the last season of walking dead through the library. Like I got the DVD from the library before it was even on Netflix. Like they're not as like outdated or slow as, as people might think. So it's just been like, every time I go there, I just get like overwhelmed with happiness. So it's definitely the big thing bringing me joy. joy right That's now. great. I'm a big fan of the public library support regularly. They see me a lot. I take books out, send books back. Friends. Yeah. Um, and also your support encourages them to uh, think about services, adding services, the more patronage yeah. they get. Yes. Um, my library was never open Mondays till recently. It's literally a block, down the block. And so patronage yeah. does matter. It's open all yes. the time now. So Yes. Yep. So, yeah, ours is unfortunately closed because they haven't had a funding increase in like 13 years. It keeps, I won't go on a rant about that. It keeps getting rejected, but hopefully they get it. They, that's one thing they want to do is expand. But yeah, like the best way is to just use the library. Just go <laughs> check it out and you might be pleasantly surprised like I was just a few months ago. So That's great. I think that's a good way to end it. Well, yeah. Echo, you're welcome to come back anytime. And awesome. I thank you so much on behalf of our listeners for all the wealth and goodness you've shared around your visual communication design and what you're thinking about these days, uh, because I think they're going to find oodles of stuff in the show notes and we'll leave your information so they can get in touch with you as well. And I look forward to following along what, what you're creating next. Cause I might need it for a career talk somewhere. <laughs> so this is great. I can't wait. Happy to help. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. This is like the best podcast I've, I've ever been on. And I, I, I really enjoyed this interview so much. It was, cool. it was a lot of fun. So I hope people, I hope people listening enjoyed it. That's, that's the big thing. I, I hope, I hope it was fun to listen to. They will. And if not, they'll go to the show notes and go, oh, this is just amazing as well. So that's good. Uh, well, Till next time, uh, we are happy to have you back anytime if you've got something new to share. And uh, thanks again. See Great. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab. And we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>